It is episode 43 of Honestly Unbalanced and we're chatting to someone with over 20 years of experience teaching and named one of the teachers shaping the future of yoga. That is Jason Crandall. Jason has been an in-demand teacher at conferences and around the world generally for more than a decade and he's considered a teacher's teacher, teaching on countless teacher trainings of a variety of forms. Uh, Jason's teacher Rodney Yee said about him, Jason is taking the art of teaching yoga to its next level. For the past 10 years, Jason has honed his approach by looking to peers outside of the yoga community, from physical therapists uh, to orthopedic surgeons, etc, etc. All of these partnerships have enabled Jason to offer the most up-to-date asana technique, cueing, injury management and hands-on adjustments Uh, and Jason's goal is to blend the timeless wisdom of yoga philosophy with evidence-based information to create a yoga curriculum that helps modern practitioners grow and evolve. Jason is actually my main teacher. I've known Jason for quite a number of years and assisted him on various trainings and I'm actually mentoring on his online 300-hour teacher training at the moment. So it's an honor to have Jason on the podcast. Enjoy it guys. Oh, and guys, just a little quickie. If any of you fancy more of Holly and me, you can practice with us on our platform at thehustlers.com. And we also have together retreats, one on yachts around Sicilian islands and one in Spain. So if you head to thehustlers.com, no tea in that, you'll find out more. Honestly unbalanced. It's an important time coming up for the yoga community and the yoga teaching. It is a... spring equinox so i just wondered how that's going to affect your uh, your sequencing <laughs> well as you know the only thing i consider is the celestial organization of the universe when i create content that's the only thing <laughs> but what do you actually base your sequencing on because i've been speaking to a lot of yoga teachers about how they sequence and whether it is you know they go down that kind of bikram ashtanga route of set sequencing whether they do the whole freestyle like just make it up as you go along say to the students what do you fancy doing today <laughs> like what, what are your thoughts on kind of the methods that you've seen um okay so i think that i think that those two poles the on one hand the everything is always the same set sequence And on the other hand, everything is always random. There is no continuity. I think both of those methods actually work really well for some people. Um, For people who kind of need the consistent regularity of a set sequence, and also for people that just mentally and emotionally need to know exactly what they're going to do and what they're going to get, that method works for them. The other method of everything is always random. I would say that that also works well for people that want to move and want to breathe and want to enjoy themselves, but aren't necessarily super keen on skill development. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. They're they're, They're kind of more people that are yoga is a very secondary or tertiary practice to them. They don't, they're not really interested in, in learning all of the nuances but they just want to move and enjoy themselves. Um, For me, neither of those modalities work, Um, which isn't to say that it doesn't work for some. Uh, For me, I'm a little greedy and I want to take the best of both worlds, which is I want to take a consistent set sequence or at least a consistent set of focal points. And I want to work on those things for about a month or two. 
So I kind of find myself right in the center of saying, hey, you know what? I really want to focus on developing this or that attribute. So I'll give you an experience. I'll give you a kind of an example right now of what I'm working with, which is teaching my students both active range of motion in their hip joints and inversions. So those are the things that like I'm just genuinely interested in working on right now. So we are focused on those things for about a six week period. And then that's naturally going to evolve into something else. So I stay pretty set and consistent for a period of time. I run that course and then I just organically shift. I, it's kind of, I kind of think about it like um, it's a chapter model, right? It's not a random page model and it's not a read the same page every time mod model. It's a, let's work with a chapter of a book at a time. If there's some teachers, well, if you said to them, I want you to teach the same kind of theme for six weeks mm, scary. they would be like, no, I'm going to lose all of my students. Yeah. Everyone's going to get bored. Everyone's going to hate won't. me. Totally. No, they'll have more students and their students will like them more because their students will learn, right? So Holly's a vocalist, right? So let's say I decide that I want to learn to sing at this advanced stage of my life. If she were going to be a good teacher for me, she wouldn't ask me to do completely random, disconnected <laughs> things. She wouldn't be like, oh, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I want to be like, well, I want to sing Ave Maria. Okay, well, let's look at scales. Well, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I just want to be a good singer. I want to start with Ave Maria. Why I picked Ave Maria, I don't know. I can, I can, te I can teach you Ave Maria if you want. We can pick in a right? schedule and session, yeah. You could, but then, but could you teach it to me in a day? Probably and not. And would you want to return to that with some mm. consistency so I have skill development, right? So I think this is this is where people overlook a couple of things, which is, having consistency doesn't mean that we have some like neurotic prison. You know mm. what I mean? It doesn't mean that we can't improvise. It doesn't mean that we can't kind of walk around and stop and smell the flowers. It just means that we have a consistent path to go down for long enough that there's skill development. You can think about it like this. There are two things I'm always trying to help people develop, um, which is, or, or kind of find the center of which is novelty and skill acquisition. Mm. We need both, right? We need novelty, we need newness, we need freshness, we need kind of uh, a more spacious freedom, but we also want to develop skills in this life. Yoga is, is and always has been a very goal-oriented discipline. It's not just like a random thing. Um, and so in order to develop and acquire skill, you have to have a certain amount of consistency. And that's, and that's where I say for about a month or so, you know what I mean? Like that's where I'm saying, Hey, let's focus on a certain amount of things for about a month. So that, so we introduce novelty, then we repeat that novelty enough that it's no longer novel, but it's an acquired skill. And then we introduce a new novelty. Now in terms of students, students are much more likely to churn out over time when they aren't acquiring skill, when they aren't developing. It's kind of like, imagine that I was gonna do like something completely different. Like I wanted to do a, 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 a diet phase. I wanted to change my life because I wanted to, to look what I perceive as look better. Well, if I do that for a month or two and I don't see a change, am I likely to stay with it? No, no not likely to stay with it. But if I do start to see a change or what I perceive as a change, am I more likely to stay with it? 
Yeah. So when we're consistent enough with our students that they are growing, they are way more likely to stay with it than when we are not. Mm. So it's one thing to have a student. It's one thing to actually keep a student. It kind of makes you wonder what you, what our role is. Is it, are mm. we teachers? Are we facilitators? Are we instructors? Are we yoga entertainers? <laughs> like I'm like, a yoga entertainer. <laughs> it, like, it makes you wonder what, what, what do you see I guess, a teacher's job is or what do you try and encourage your students as in teacher students to be and what is their role I, you know i i kind of i think about this a lot right which is i kind of because i like sports and i like things that are done really well so but i also like to be a learner and i like to be casually engaged in things okay so 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 here's here's my thought which is we can, as yoga teachers, choose to focus primarily on being subject matter experts and teach people yoga like an athlete is trained. Meaning our goal as a yoga teacher is to actually teach the subject matter of yoga and do that in a way where the desired outcome is greater knowledge and skill within the yoga tradition. That's yeah. an option. The other option is to be more like a light in a like dark area mm. where we're not we're not training yogis like an athlete is trained or like an artist is trained. We're training yogis in class to just have more skill and more comfort to navigate their everyday life. Mm. You know, it's kind of like are we, tr are we helping students be aficionados of the yoga tradition or are we helping people use yoga in a little bit more of a casual way to be more comfortable and happy? And to me, I don't care. I'm more than happy to do either. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's the component where the student is just going to take in what the student is going to take in. So I want to have the full scope of competence and skill to teach yoga to the aficionado. But if next to the aficionado is someone that just wants to breathe a little bit better and feel better in their body, I'm just as happy to work with that person. Mm. Do you feel like your role and goal as a yoga teacher has evolved since when you began a lot? I've actually gone more and more, I've, I've evolved over the years to being more focused on being a yoga teacher that just helps people acquire some skills and be well. So long before I was teaching yoga, I wanted to be a teacher. Like it's the only, like I've always wanted to profess. Like there, I'm, I'm, I am really bad at a lot of things, but I'm pretty good at professing. Like give me a couple of thoughts and I will profess upon them. Right? So, um, that's just my, that's just my DNA. It's not even my, it's not even how I was raised. It's the opposite of how I was raised. So it's, this is just genetic code at play. So early on when I was a yoga teacher, especially because I was studying more intensely in the Iyengar world, which is, you know, it's very visceral, but it's also very cognitive. It's this very intellectual world. Mm. And so I kind of, my role model in some ways was I wanted to be kind of a professor of yoga. And then now I still in my trainings like to be a professor of yoga, but in my classes, good God, 
I just want you to be, I just want you to know how to breathe through your nose and feel your body and not like have a heart attack. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I really have in that way, I think evolved to be more, to be more straightforward, to be more accessible, to be more simple, to not diluted, but more um, serviceable, mm. more actionable. Are you in any way resentful that you haven't got a doctor? I'm always resentful. That, <laughs> but I like, haven't got a doctor. Do you want doctor in front of your name or professor? Mm. No, not at all. <laughs> I don't want to do that work. So this is also where like my, I don't have the most neurotypical brain. So being in a conventional school, like I, I have an undergraduate degree in philosophy. That was easy for me because I was able to just like read and write. But if I had to do that at the higher level and go through the protocols of being a uh, like graduating from a PhD program, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anything worse in my life. It'd be horrible. So I was gonna say you found your you found your niche now, as it were. Yeah. Or what do you say? What do you guys say? Nietzsche. Nietzsche. I whatever. Like you the say. philosopher Nietzsche. Uh, you found Not Nietzsche. He was unpleasant. <laughs> he was vile. Brilliant. But Di what did he die of? Die of syphilis? Did he? He died of some sex he died STD. Of just being a grumpy person. I think. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, it was definitely an STD in, uh, somewhere. But niche. We've all. You found your niche now, I guess. And I've. All, I always say to other teachers. It takes a while, but find your niche because you don't need to be the yoga teacher for everyone in your city. Like you're in London, there are ten thousand yoga teachers, mm -hmm. probably something yeah. obscene. You don't need to be everything to everyone. So I just want: how long did it take you to find your niche? And I guess when you find your niche, of course, it means that some people will love you and some people will inevitably really not like what you teach, and it's not proper yoga, nope, etc. <laughs> well, how, <laughs> how, how, how have you dealt with that one individual that didn't quite like the way you do things? So that's a big question. Number one, about finding your niche. And number two, about how you deal with the people that do not like how you teach. Oh. So, I, okay. Finding my niche is nothing that I set out to do, right? So I have really genuinely just always followed my interests and I've communicated those interests. And my interests continue to grow and evolve and change over time. And I have stayed with that. I've been fortunate to have a a very broad exposure and a very deep exposure to yoga. So, you know, for me early on, I hooked into Ashtanga yoga because the physicality and the consistency worked really well for me. Um, but then there were enough things about that culture and world that I needed to move on from. And then similarly, I spent a long time studying Iyengar yoga and that appealed to another component that in some ways appealed more to my um, intellectual kind of meticulous component of myself. And so I have always felt super fortunate that I've just been able to gravitate towards the middle of those things of get people to move with consistency and rhythm and dynamism and then also teach a certain amount of refined and nuanced technique. <clears throat> when it comes to that niche, I, I think the only other thing I wanna say is, I think a lot of people know me, it, most people don't know me. <laughs> Let's make that really clear. <laughs> uh, the vast majority of the world does not know who any yoga teacher is, but those people that do know me, um, they, probably think of me as a pretty technical and a pretty anatomy driven teacher 
Um, but those things are not that interesting to me in and of themselves. So for me, the technique and the anatomy, they're ways of fully concentrating the mind. I am a very sensory person. And so for me to do the yoga of concentrating my mind, I need something that's tactile, right? So mm. I don't really even care that much about end range strength and concentric strength and isometric strength and full range of motion of the hip joint. I mean, I do, but I don't. To me, those aren't end goals in and of themselves in this discipline. Those are just techniques. The end goal is a fully concentrated mind. Mm. But with the way that my mind works, I need a physical thing to do that mm. because it's those tactile things that engage my mind more completely. So technique and anatomy and all of those things, those are like, I don't think of myself as a fitness teacher. I mean, those are interesting things. Don't get me wrong. I like to go to fitness teachers. I'm not denigrating fitness teaching, but I don't think of myself as a fitness teacher. I think of myself as a yoga teacher. And those physical components are ways of harnessing attention. Mm. But again, last thing, on, last thing on this topic is if I have a niche, it's just it's just who I am and what I'm interested in. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I just happen to be interested in certain things. Um, that thank God other people are also interested in. Um, I think when it comes to recognizing that not everyone shares my same interest, right? Um, I don't take it easily. I mean, I don't, <laughs> it's not easy because, mm. because it is, um, like if I were, I think if I were a history teacher, I would want people to share my same interests. I'd be like, I love the Byzantine era. I wish everyone would love the Byzantine era, but I didn't live during the Byzantine era. Like it's a reflection of my interests, but it's not who I am. When you're a yoga teacher and you really are not just teaching yoga, but you are really sharing who you are mm. and people aren't into it. That's not easy. You know what I mean? It's not easy. And it does, it does raise the ego and I have as strong a set of defense mechanisms as anyone I've ever known. So I don't like it. I joke with people all the time that I just found out there are other people on other teachers on yoga glow and it's, it's, it's making me frustrated. <laughs> you know, so do I want to be the only teacher on the planet and everyone's favorite? Um, yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I, of course, honest, love it. <laughs> Right. But, um, but I am not, I'm not the only yoga teacher on earth and I am not everyone's favorite. I'm not even in everyone's like uh, top 100. I think then what I have to chalk that up to is look, different people just resonate with different things and different personalities. Like if you were like, Oh my God, I'm super into kite flying. It's super awesome. Like there are people who are hobbyists who all they want to do is fly kites. Man, I'm not interested in that. So I understand that not everyone is interested in what I'm interested in. And also there's a lot of personalities that I don't get on that well with. And so I realized not all personalities are going to get on well with me. Um, and so I think what it requires on my part is a very regularly reframing um, of, hey, this is really just my ego that's incensed here. and. Um, I have to manage that and let other people find the path that they find. And um, I'll say one more thing about it, which is 
I don't take the bait anymore. So one of the things I think that I used to do was look more at social media. Mm. Um, and I'd kind of think like, oh my gosh, so many people like this person. Like, I don't follow anyone that I don't... I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this. I'm not trying to be diplomatic. I'm trying to be accurate. I follow plenty of other yoga teachers, but I don't follow any yoga teacher that I think, oh my God, I cannot believe people are listening to this person. <laughs> so I don't, right? So I don't put myself in a situation where I'm like going through a mental and emotional yeah. battle in my own head while looking at a phone. Like, I just don't do that. Mm. Um, I have done that and I just don't, I just don't do that. Mm. So I do my best to really stay far away from what I know is a trigger for me. Do you feel that your relationship with your ego has, has, um, or how is it, how has your relationship with your ego changed since the beginning of starting yoga and how, how, what your tools for battling with it, I suppose, for managing it? Um, I have a pretty, this is kind of weird, right? Because I, because in a lot of ways, I'm pretty straightforward. I'm pretty simple. Um, I'm like the most humble guy ever, right? <laughs> Sense sarcasm. <laughs> uh, but like, I don't think, I don't think many people see me and think that guy is an egotistical, you know what? It's, I'm sure some people do, but I don't think the majority of people do. And that being said, that's real. But within me, I got a pretty strong ego. Um, but that ego is more, I have so I have such a strong ego, actually, that my ego is almost always self-referenced, meaning my own opinion of my own self is infinitely more important to me than your opinion mm. of myself, right? So it's not that I don't have an ego, it's that it's not... It is affected by others and how they and how I think they perceive me without a doubt. But my ego in some ways is more my own striving to actuate the things that I'm interested in as well as I can. Um, when it comes to yoga practice, I think it I don't think that it has dampened my ego. Um, I think that it has given me more perspective on it to see when mm. the problem that I'm experiencing is not an external problem. It's actually my ego. Mm. So for example, the social media thing, like it would be an insane thing for me to think that everyone on social media should do different things so that they're in accordance with my belief systems <laughs> and interests, <laughs> right? That would be an insane thing. Like that would be a super narcissistic thing. So instead of me thinking oh my gosh social media blah 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 i think hey why are you actually becoming involved in something that is optional that is not helpful for you mm -hmm. and that is making your ego get disordered so i think that i'm much better at putting myself in situations where my ego is less likely to just run roughshod so i see it more like i see yeah. The kind of like it's a quote but like the raw and rugged quality of the ego i just see it much yeah. better um and i don't think i take the bait quite as often yeah i think that's a function of yoga that's also just a function of aging you know just 
not not, not quite uh, pushing up against as hard. But I'm not trying to dissolve my ego entirely. Not at least not at this phase of my life, because I also believe that that's that 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 a well-regulated, well-managed ego is a necessary component yeah. of a healthy psyche. Totally. So I also don't talk about ego in like the same way that sometimes it's talked about in contemporary yoga classes. Mm. You talked before about kind of the fact, I was alluding to the fact that although you might teach an anatomical style of yoga, anatomy focused, it can still be spiritual. It can still be a practice of self-inquiry, but you're using the body as a vehicle for that self-inquiry. Sure. So I guess the, the, the question there is, you, what you're still, although you're using the body, you're what you're doing is making sure it's a way that is safe and sustainable. Okay, so although the asana is a vehicle, you're still getting benefits of getting more flexible, getting stronger, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So how has that evolved for you in terms of what you think is kind of safe or suitable for most bodies over time? You mean what kind of practices and what kind of postural techniques do have a do I think are more safe and reasonable Indeed. for the general public? Well, and for you, where do you get the information from? Because of course your opinion changes over time. Yeah. So where do, you, where do you get the information from about what, what could be suitable and actually what could be just left behind 70 years ago? Or what could we, what could we have left? Yeah, so I think, I think to start kind of framing this question, which is I think that um, technique evolves. I think technique changes. Technique is comes from the same root. Technique and technology, they come from the same root. So I'm not looking for an old technology, right? I'm looking for a contemporary technology. It doesn't have to be like, I'm not the person that the moment like Mac announces there's going to be another iPhone, I just throw my iPhone away. I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait. I mean, I don't, I'm not like, I don't fetishize it, mm. right? Um, but like, I also don't have a flip phone. I don't have like a rotary dial. Um, I have an electric hybrid. You know what I mean? So like, I tend to think that when it comes to postural technique, right? Because that's really what we're talking about. We're not talking about the uh, the soter sotoriological component of yoga, the liberation component of yoga. We're talking about the postural component of yoga. We're talking about the postural component of yoga. Good God, it's just not that old. And like, we've learned a lot. So part of what I learn and grow on is the fact that I've been doing this for 25 years. So I've learned a thing or two about what works in my own body and what doesn't, what works in students' bodies in aggregate and what doesn't. Um, but over the last six, maybe seven years, I have started to pay a lot more attention to my students and now colleagues who are doctors of sports medicine. Mm. Um, who are high-level uh, fitness trainers, who are coaches of um, professional athletes, and looking at the ways that they, <clears throat> looking at the ways that they train the musculoskeletal system. So when it comes to self-regulating the mind, and when it comes to self-regulating the nervous system, traditional or yoga-based techniques are still kind of the best mm. like that's what they evolved to do like the even the hatha yoga practices and the patanjali based practices those are means by which to regulate the psyche and the nervous system they're not really ways to regulate the musculoskeletal yeah. system 
So, so I can't really look to like the Hatha Yoga Pradipika or the Garana Samhita for sage advice about the relationship between tensile and compressive stresses mm. and the soft tissues. It's just that they didn't give a sh Sorry, I don't know. This is no, you can swear as much as you want. Okay, okay <laughs> they didn't, that just wasn't what it was. Mm. So why would I look to the Yoga Mala or any kind of older book to get wisdom from the about the musculoskeletal system like it's just not there it wasn't mm -hmm. the interest it wasn't that they didn't know it's that it wasn't the main thing it'd be like me trying to fry an egg with a chef knife <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's just not the actual instrument mm. um so the point i want to make on that is i look to people who's that's their focus strength and conditioning mm. um I, I don't think in contemporary if you're if we are teaching contemporary asana technique why wouldn't we look at strength and conditioning coaches why wouldn't we look at um doctors of physical therapy why wouldn't we look at sports science why wouldn't we look at um the aggregate studies about musculoskeletal stuff so so that's where i feel like again like i'm thankful that i have a good historical context of knowing even just posturally, what yoga is unbelievably good at, focus and breathing. Mm. Like th those, those are the things that yoga has always been really good at. And those are still the core of the tradition. But if I'm going to teach you technique and trikonasana, why would I look at an old book? Mm. I mean, you know what I mean? If I'm going to teach you a musculoskeletal technique, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be a little bit more contemporary. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about your first experience with yoga? What was your first class like? Set awful. the scene. Awful. <laughs> it wasn't an awful class. It was an awful, it was an awful experience for me. Um, I had one credit hour left to graduate from, I would say college, you might say university. Mm. Um, and the only department that offered one credit hour was the kinesiology department. So my girlfriend at the time said, let's do yoga. Long story short, I did yoga. Um, I was graduating with a philosophy degree, but most of my, my training was in um, like Western empiricism. So really kind of the opposite of yoga and some of the mystical components of it. I walked into that yoga class and I thought because I had been a skateboarder for most of my life and because I had played competitive hockey for 16 years, I thought I'd be kind of awesome at the physical stuff. <laughs> um, and I was so tight. I was so uncoordinated. I had trained my body to, like my body is really well-trained to react quickly. You know what I mean? Like high velocity sports, yeah. mm. but it, but I didn't know how to move slowly. Mm. I didn't know how to move deliberately. I didn't know how to move for movement's sake. You know what I mean? Like I knew how to, to, to move in an explosive way that was dedicated to an outcome within a sport. But I didn't know how to like, I didn't know where my, you know, whatever body parts were. Like I just, I just had never gone through that prism. Um, and it was just really hard and really frustrating. And I felt really physically weak because that was the other thing is that I had never really done much in, in retrospect. I didn't know it then. 
I never done much isometric work. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I had always moved super hard and super fast and dynamically, but I had never stayed in a position for 10 seconds, 30 seconds. So even though I was strong and well-conditioned, I was not strong and well-conditioned in the way that a yoga asana practice asked the body to be. Um, so I hated it. It was really, really frustrating, but I had to do it for a whole semester. The upside is when I left class, I felt good. Like I just felt like, okay, I felt good. And I think because somewhat ironically, my study had been in Western empiricism, I would leave class and I'd be like, I empirically feel way better than I did in that. <laughs> <laughs> so even though I hated that, like weird, like what I saw as like physically difficult, culturally out of sync for me. Um, and then also like, I just still didn't get yoga and it seemed mystical and vague. It was still empirically, it worked. It worked. So I, so I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. And then fast forward, you know, a, a farewell, you're now like a yoga power couple. Imagine if yeah. you saw this as your future, yeah, you would be, you as, would as be, far as that goes. you would be married to someone and that would be your, your business. Did you ever, at what point did you think like legitimately, this is going to be career. This is going to be how I put food on the table and pay rent. You know, honestly, a long time ago, the, and the reason why, well, okay. There's been a lot of times that I have wavered. There's been a lot of times I haven't been able to put much food on the table. More of my professional journey, I've not put food on the table. Um, and I've, you know, for the first 10 years of being a full-time yoga teacher, I had a part-time job. So that's where also I get a little bit like, I, I can be a little tough lovish on that job, on that front. Um, but I, I still remember pretty early on studying with Rodney and thinking to myself, I can learn and I'm good at teaching things. Like I, I just knew, like I knew I'm good at teaching things mm. and I didn't know much about yoga, but I knew that I could learn it. You know what I mean? Like I, mm. I knew that I could learn postural technique. I knew that I could learn the philosophical and spiritual parameters mm. and the kind of cultural tradition. Like those are learnable events. Yeah. They're not like, those aren't like, I don't have to track down an ancient text in the Himalayas. Like <laughs> I have access to learning. Yeah. Um, and so I thought I can probably do this. I, I think the other thing that helped was at that time I was in my early twenties and I had no expenses in my life. I also had pretty much no ambition. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I had like, no, I'm like, what? I didn't have a car. I didn't have a mortgage. I barely had rents. I was vegan at the time. So like wow. I didn't have much like food bills. I weighed like eight pounds. <laughs> did you, did much... you look like a yogi? I, like, you don't look like a yogi per se. You don't meet any stereotypes <laughs> of what a yogi would yeah, look like. Have you ever like. had a man bun? And your, like, your whole like- no, But I did, have a lo I did have long hair for a long did time. Did you? But that was actually prior to yoga. And like, like even the yoga setup behind you, you it's, it looks non-yoga. Like you haven't, I can't yeah. see any Buddha in the background. Oh, there's, no there's no prayer, <laughs> prayer flags. There's a lot of books about Buddhism. Wow, that's a, a tall stack of books. Wow. Like, so like, at any yeah. point, did you look yogic or did you kind of go for, did you fall into the stereotype at all? Did you look a little bit hippie? Never. When you met Andrea, no, that was felt for you? Because, <laughs> because there's something that pre 
precedes, there's a couple of things that precede my exposure to yoga. Number one is I'm contrarian. I just am. So like, I'm always, I'm always going to push back about against the, the like cultural stereotype of the world that I'm going to be in. Um, That's a component. And that's not, that's just who, that's literally just, I'm just, that's just how I work. Um, The other thing is I, for me, have always had more of a, um, like a taste culture preference that comes from the world of skateboarding and from, and from hardcore and punk. So because those are more of like my cultural identity, even though I don't do those anything, those anymore, like those are still the aesthetics. So I've just never been drawn to a yoga aesthetic. You know what I mean? Like just kind of never. Um, I mean, there are components, I suppose, like some might think like, you know, like Japanese minimalism or Balinese, like I like those as architectural styles, um, but I've never, I've never kind of been into more of like the boho cultural aesthetic of what a, a contemporary yoga might might look like yogi might look like on the surface and you you attract those students as well that like, i haven't seen many crystals in any of the trainings i've been with you <laughs> they don't stay long <laughs> <laughs> i think that a lot of people fall into that trap initially as a yoga teacher you kind of want to yeah, fit yeah, you yeah. want to fit into the box don't you and be the yoga teacher etc so yeah. if that wasn't one of your insecurities and you've never felt the need to do that no. what what would you say were your insecurities and doubts along the way if any um, I think my insecurities and doubts have always been the same. Uh-huh. Hello. Um, I'm giving my, my oh, hi. little hug. You guys, can, you guys can see her, but... Um, oh, she's, she's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad it's Friday for her, though. Thank God it's Friday. Um, my doubts and insecurities have always been the same, which is more about kind of relationship factors of yoga. It's whether or not I, as a, I, as a teacher will be on the same page with students you know what i mean so it's it's not it's not about whether or not what i have to offer is valuable or interesting it's not about whether or not students are like good and valuable and interesting or any of that i don't even know what that is um but it's always been about like whether or not i'd find the mat a, a, a match whether or not for me as a yoga teacher I would find enough students that was a good match. Mm. That's still a concern. Like that's an ongoing concern. And I don't know if that's just a personal insecurity or whether or not it's like a realistic understanding that sometimes things change and your interests aren't necessarily matched to many other people's interests. I find that people who like you really like you in that, let's say social media, you haven't got the hugest social media it's big sure but it's not huge but you get high engagement your newsletter is massive and i think that that's a benefit of really being true to yourself isn't it Mm. that actually the people that like you like you and will pay for your course Mm. and then will pay for a 300 hour training then we'll pay for another course in the future yeah 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 and from a like from a purely business perspective that's not how i've set out but i but i always think about um I've always thought about from a business perspective being more of like a really good boutique than a department store Mm. because department stores are really easy to knock off and they have more churn and they might have more people in the door, but a fewer percentage, a smaller percentage of those people are actually paying for things. 
And I think that I think that we've continued to see this if you pay any attention to Instagram, which is the vast majority of high profile Instagram yogis, you can't can't really pay rent because they're not the thing is is like there are two ways, there's more than two ways, but the two primary ways to monetize social media is number one, engage with people on a level where that person wants to learn more. Mm-hmm and will pay for that thing or be compensated by selling a third party's product. Yeah. Right. I don't have a problem with that. Like, I don't have a problem with being like this, this, you know, ad is, this post is brought to you by Lululemon, blah, blah, blah. I have no problem with that, especially when it's done well and with, with transparency. Um, But I think that for me, my goal has never been to sell a third party's product although I'm not above it. I just, it's, I just don't do it. Um, it's always been me saying, Hey, I kind of, I have this knowledge. I have this experience. I have this ability to communicate it. Um, if you're interested, here you go. Hmm. You know, and that, that's, it's kind of always, that's kind of always been what it's been. I think the other thing too, is from a, from a teaching perspective, it gets, I mean, we all know, okay. It's hard to teach the same person year over year over year over year, but it's harder to teach different people in every class. Mm. You know what I mean? It's so hard when you're a teacher that is mostly dealing with volume, but low return, you know, when there's a lot of people coming through the door that first or second time, but they're not coming back. They come to that first year of workshop. You kind of see this too in social media as you'll see like, the first time so-and-so comes to London, there's a lot of people. The second time, there ain't a lot of people. There isn't that continuity, the return, because when someone went to see, oh, I, I want to see more here, there wasn't that much more here, you know? Um, and so for me, both as a teacher, but also as a business operator, um, I really want to focus on engagement. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to see you at least a few times that I come back not just this one time. That's also how I've always been as a student. Like I haven't studied with a million teachers, but the, but the handful of teachers that I've studied with, I've gotten to their essence. I've stayed mm. there. Yeah. Do you miss real life teaching? No. <laughs> <laughs> Love the honesty. <laughs> so how's it been this last year then? Have you, you've enjoyed it being online? I shouldn't say that I haven't, I don't miss real live teaching. That uh, I don't pine for it. Yeah. Let me put it that way. You know what I mean? Like I don't pine for it. I'm not like, oh my God, if I could do anything right now, it'd be in a, in a group of a bunch of people sweating. <laughs> Hugging all your I students. Don't, I don't pine for it. But it also might be one of those things that I have somewhat been forced to sublimate over the last year. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I was pining for it for a while, but now it's just like, I don't even know what's going on. Um, I think the other reason I don't pine for it is because I love developing contents and I love developing programs and I love not having time constraints. Mm. And so developing really well-produced online training content is so satisfying. Mm. It's really satisfying to like going back to that part of me that is um, not a professor, but kind of professorial. Like I like to, I like to put things together, you know, and I like to, 
organize things that exist in my mind. And a lot of things that relate to yoga exist in my mind. So the, so being able to spend literally months on hand every day, organizing training content, um, and then figuring out, okay, I've been doing this kind of training for so long, even online. I've been doing online training for seven years. I've had not just on glow, but I've had online trainings on glow for seven years. So I have all of this back inventory and this experience saying, now, how can I do it better? Not how can I take the same thing and throw a camera in front of it? You know what yeah. I mean? But which just makes like that raises my hackles a little bit, but like, for me to say, how can we, how can I actually do what I've been doing better? Not because it's a vanity project, but because like, I, because I want to keep cleaning things up in my mind. Right. So how do I keep organizing content and structuring and teaching in a way that I actually think is better because that's satisfying to me. And it's, I've obviously got access to your online programs through mentoring on the current 300 hour module. And it is impressively put together. Like it is so clean and it does, it does my like, number one, not all online trainings are like that. Cause I've seen a few of them and a lot of them are just, None of them are. I won't, I'm going to be. But yeah, some of them are literally, so as you say, just literally a camera in front, maybe a Zoom recording, and that's about it. Uh, really unprone. It's just the same manual, etc. So yours is is incredible, and it is really well put together. So I guess well, what was my question related to that? Was I just kind of just big, was I just bigging you up? Yeah, was I just like, inflating your ego there? Let's not have a butt. Don't say butt. <laughs> no question, just a statement. I forget. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw another question away instead, though. Would you rather right. be in front of yoga students, or would you rather be on a jujitsu mat right now? If you had to choose <laughs> between jujitsu mat right now, <laughs> that's what I'm pining for. Like, hey, yeah, how I was am. actually of all the people during COVID that I feel for the most? Of course, there's lots of suffering and death. Oh, and dude, those. they're all training. But the, oh, are they? Oh, the studio is still oh, open. God, yeah. I mean, all all of the all of the people, like all of the casual people, like me. So the people that are typically not training jujitsu still are people like me. They're like weekend warriors. They're hobbyists. They love it but they have, but they're, but they have a family, yeah. they're a little older. Right. So, um, but all of the, everyone that I know that's either like a younger hobbyist. So the guys I train with that are in their t early twenties that they don't have, they don't have a family. They have a family, but you know what I mean? They're like, they're living with another dude and mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like that, that world, they're still training. They don't care. Um, and then there are in the States, there are exemptions for professional athletes. So the high, so all the so all the high level people they're they're, they're still they're still they're still on their mind. Interesting. And tell us about you in terms of you and Andrea. So now you work together significantly. Like the websites overlap. Obviously the podcast. I love the overlaps. podcast. Yeah, Holly, Such Holly a massive fan. And Andrea, like I know I've got I've got a girl crush on Andrea just putting it out there. <laughs> I had a, I have a boy crush. Do you? I'm, I'm not surprised. She's got such a good voice as well. Yeah, she has a great such voice. Such a good voice. That yes. makes a big That makes such a big difference uh, it's in like, a podcast. It's, a big it's like if, if Honey could talk, it would be Andrea's voice. Yeah. Oh, I will. I You could maybe tell her That's that. a nice and compliment, that, actually. That will, that will raise her spirits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Unlike mine, I've I've had complaints that I just sound arrogant and abrasive yeah. on this. Where Holly, everyone loves Holly's voice. 
<laughs> you are not arrogant, nor are you abrasive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so in terms of, so you, you, you guys doing stuff together more and more, was that a conscious choice? Because I guess when you met, were you both in the yoga world and did you decide back then to combine skills or did it happen fairly organically? It really happened organically. So I have, uh, I think this is pretty common in relationships. Someone is the accelerator and someone is the brakes. I am the brakes. She is the accelerator. So she was the one that wanted to get married. She was the one that wanted to have a kid. She was the one that wanted to buy the first home. She was the one that wanted to move. She was the one that wanted me to stop traveling. And I have been like the drag on that whole thing. Not that I haven't <laughs> wanted to do those things, but but I have not been, but I've been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't what we're doing now fine? And she's like, yeah, it's fine. And blah, 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 blah. So she has always been kind of more pursuant of change and I'm more fearful of change. I'm especially super fearful of being broke again um, because I spend so long being broke and I just don't, I'm not an extreme materialist, but my God, man, I just, it's nice to have a like comfortable bed and decent sheets. Mm. Um, and a couple other like creature comforts. So because the travel that I had been doing for the last five years was profitable, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it less mm. because it's like, it was a, it was a known factor for me. So I didn't want to build the podcast out more. I didn't want to build online trainings out more. I didn't want to build the live stream out more because I didn't have time to do those unless I took the short-term hit of not traveling. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to go through a period where I pulled myself away from resources to build the next thing. So COVID has kind of like fast forwarded. What was the next six to seven year plan? The mm. next six to seven year plan was to be where I am today which is not traveling. Mm. And then when I do travel, like I, like my intention is to come to London once a year, maybe twice a year, to go to Hong Kong once a year, to maybe go to one or two other places once or twice a year, but no more 40 weekends of the year am I gonna be on mm. the, the plane. So in so many ways, this, we had organically been doing more and more things, but it's been this last year where it's like, okay, well, that faucet, that revenue faucet of showing up and teaching in a place is off. And I don't know what you know about the United States of America, but we don't have a particularly strong safety net here. <laughs> Whatever someone may say, we don't have a particularly <laughs> strong safety net. So it was kind of, it was kind of just like, okay, we, we need to take all these things that we've been talking about and thinking about implementing over many years and just roll it out now. And it's all worked out. It's working out really well. Yeah. I mean, if you ask me, you know, everything tomorrow is going to be a desert oasis, but because that that's, those are where my fears reside. My, my fears reside of like everyone that's ever going to buy a training already bought it yesterday. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, right. So it's that like, but the upside of that is the upside of that is I've always been pretty far ahead of the curve of figuring out what's next in terms of, in terms of like 
how to teach a different community. So things are going well. And yeah, I look forward to seeing actual yoga students in the same, same room again, especially in trainings and retreats. Who is the more kind of geeky one out of you both? That is it, because you know, you had a good camera set up quite quickly. You were doing kind of, what's it, breakout rooms on Zoom, etc. You've got lots of gear. Do you mean like technical yeah, geek? Yeah, te- technically geeky. Who is doing the? Who's going to be the one that adopts holograms when they come out? If I get a hologram of myself, I'm giving it bigger calves. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm not closing the space between the teeth, but it, this is so funny. Yesterday, it, I haven't been on the playground with my daughter in a while just because she doesn't go to the playground as much. Um, but this used to happen to me all the time. And twice it happened when I went to the playground yesterday, which is two separate little kids walked up to me and were like, what happened to your teeth? No. What happened to your teeth? Little shits. Where's your tooth? Like beat it, kid. <laughs> I'm owning um, it. <laughs> so yeah, so there'll, there'll be n- no gap tooth and there'll be muscular calves on my hologram. <laughs> um, you know... Andrea has always been more comfortable with back end work mm. um, because she worked on the web when it was first starting. Like she was, she was really early on the web and she was Yoga Journal's first online editor. And she has just dealt with the internet for a really long time. Mm. When it comes to the actual filming and like, the right lights at the right temperature and all this it's me mm. and the reason that that is is twofold number one is i've been being filmed for almost 10 years so i've been in professional studios seeing how things are done um understanding you know like i've known so much of the actual uh like cinematography angle setup of cameras for a long time, just because I've been around them. Um, And then when COVID uh, came to everyone's shores, the person who had been the technology lead at Yoga Glow for a long time is a guy named John Pears. And John's a good friend of mine, independent of that job and prior to that job. So he came to San Francisco for a couple of days. He told me what to buy, what to invest in, how to use the space that we have as well as we can use the space that we have. Um, and, and that was that. So I have a lot of support. But so if it comes to a newsletter, if it comes to whether or not we're going to go with WordPress again, when it comes to all of that stuff, Andrea 100%. If it comes to something that it deals much more with like hardware, it's going to be me. Mm. Cool. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we don't want to tie up for too much longer now. So we're going to do a little, a few quick fire questions. Got it. Is there anything that is sacred for you? Whatever you want to interpret sacred as? Uh, my relationship to my family. Nice. Favorite yoga pose. <clears throat> it changes, but if I could only have one triangle pose, because it has everything in it except the inversion but you can also drop your head and make an inversion mm-hmm. any analogy you hear all the time in yoga class it really does your head in like <laughs> in Badakanasana, open your feet like the pages, pages of, of a book. book 
Um, it used to be the, not so much anymore, but the Anyasara world of melting your heart made me literally, <laughs> it made me want to eviscerate the universe. Okay. Have you ever said something in a yoga class that you really regret afterwards? Like every day. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you've bought for less than a hundred pound that has been useful for you kind of getting online in this period? Underwear. <laughs> always handy <laughs> um oh i was gonna ask what's your favorite quote but i feel like that's just too cheesy for you do you have one uh i don't i don't have one yeah not that i don't not that i don't resonate with quotes yeah um but like i don't i don't have i don't have one ready to rock yeah fair jason and i want to say now is there anything you want to tell people listening about courses trainings podcasts um i have courses i have trainings i have podcasts they're all pretty good <laughs> <laughs> um you can find them at jasonyoga.com and uh yeah that's it instagram instagram exists and i am on it miss jason yoga. jason <laughs> jason underscore crandall with a c R-A-N-D-E and an L-L. Perfect. Jason, thanks so much. We'll do a formal My goodbye. Pleasure. Thanks for having Honestly, me on. Honestly, I'm balanced.